0: and click on the building fund tab. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks and God bless. Today we are continuing our series, Once Upon a Time in Jonah and I'm loving, again, this book. One of the things that is interesting about the book of Jonah, even though it's a prophetic book, it's more of a parable than a book or the other books that we consider prophetic. It's not like Eli- or Isaiah or Ezekiel. It's not like Jeremiah. The whole book itself is kind of a parable that is disclosing a story. And we're finding it's very powerful how this story is being revealed in the story itself, last week as we ended, we saw that God hurled a storm on the boat that Jonah was in and God took the gloves off and we talked about how God does that at times when it's necessary to, to get our attention or to move in our lives but then we also looked at the perhaps God will hear and save us and all the times that God indeed has done that, that that's the intention of God all along. That's the point of this story is perhaps God will speak and they will respond and God can do something miraculous. And he did it or he's going to do it as we'll see in the town of Nino. You guys know the story, so I'm not giving it away, but... We see that he did it also, or is doing it here in the boat. And so this morning we're going to be talking about education, penicillin, tortoises, that's how you say more than one tortoise, uh, as well as thunderstorms, okay? So open it up to the book of Jonah. We're going to continue in chapter 1 and start with me in verse 7. And they said to one another, these are the people who are on the boat, the sailors on the boat, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise, surprise. Remember the theme of this story from the time that Jonah runs from his divine assignment is that God works him over trying to get Jonah to see that as he sees, God sees, and to feel as God feels. God is trying to connect Jonah to his heart. And really that is God's intention for all of humanity. It is to connect us to who he is so that we can understand what his desire is and be part of that desire. And really this is Jonah's education. It involves this authentic contact with the Gentiles because God is wanting to reach these who are outside of the nation of Israel. The focus of this episode of Jonah is actually going to be taking place on the captain and his crew that are caught in this storm. And there's a couple of key words. One of the key words that appears in this episode is the word maybe to learn. It's the word yada, which means to know. The crew needs to know something to help them get through this storm. And so there's going to be lessons built upon lessons that they start to learn that help them to navigate through the storm that they're in because it's more than just the ocean at hand. And like Jonah, they're also going to have to receive an education. And their education, it's going to come in these stages. I remember when I was in kindergarten, few years back. I can remember one specific day when my mom picked me up and was asking me how was school today or maybe I was just telling her what happened in school today and it's so funny that I remember this one thought. I remember learning something and I thought oh, I can't wait to tell my mom this is revolutionary. I just found out something that probably most of the people in the world don't know because I'm in school now. I'm in higher education. It's kindergarten. And my mom asked me, I think, what did you learn today? I said, Mom, you won't believe this, but there is more than one way to spell the word no. That's right. It's not just No. There's another way. And she said, oh, really? What is it? And I forgot how to spell it. So I just started making it up. I said, it's K-N-R. I just went on with a bunch of letters, like six of them or so. And my mom said, oh, do you mean K-N-O-W? And all of a sudden I was like, oh. You mean you already know this word? I was surprised that my mom had that much education. She actually made it beyond my Learning at this point, and she knew both ways to spell the word no. And you see, stage one of their learning here is to learn on whose account this calamity has occurred. They wanted to know what had happened. And the word that appears here in verse 7, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this Evil has come upon us. There are two ways to define this word evil. There is the moral evil of wrongdoing, but there also is the negative experience of circumstances such as trouble or tragedy. It's evil that's come upon us. What? The storm. That was their idea and understanding of this as being something that is evil. It's the same word that's used in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's the same word, but it's talking really in two different areas. Here, it is the circumstances that we find them in. They're troubling. They're evil. And they want to find out who's responsible for this. Why is this happening to us? The negative experience that they're going through. The sailors felt that they needed to know the cause of the storm. They, they might be able then to find some way to counteract it. If we can find out what's causing it, maybe we can find out how to deal with it because they've already determined this is supernatural. This is an unusual storm. How are we going to weather our way through that? And as we saw last time, these veterans, they recognized this. In biblical times, if knowledge was unavailable by ordinary means, almost every ancient culture had a means of consulting the gods to find out. And here, casting lots was like rolling the dice. It was the way that they would find out what was happening. Someone is responsible. Let's cast lots. Let's draw straws. Let's see whose fault it is. And then, sure enough, it fell on Jonah. Now, this isn't uncommon even in the nation of Israel. We see in Joshua chapter 18, verse 8, that he casts lots. It's appealing to this random chance process that the outcome can't be controlled by us, so maybe God will take control. Okay? No one challenge the validity of the method because it was viewed as guided by God. We see it also even in Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse thirty-three. Proverbs sixteen thirty-three it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so this was a common methodology of finding out, God, we can't control what happens when we draw the lots, but you can, so perhaps you will. There's that idea again. Perhaps God will show up in this area. And so we see that that's what happened. It worked. The lot fell on Jonah and God made use of all the means available at this time. He used the sea. He used the wind. He used the sailors fear and he used the lots being cast. He was at work in all these areas to try and accomplish something. And they're learning what that something is. And so we continue in verse eight. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea the dry, and the dry land. And so stage two of the sailors education is to know what the specific details are. And all these questions, I don't imagine them coming from one person. I imagine all these sailors gathered around Jonah now because the lot fell on him. And there's Jonah standing with this lot. And then they start bursting out these questions. They want to know, where do you come from? Another one says, hey, what's your country? Another one says, and what people are you? And they're just all asking these questions because they're like, hey, the lot's on you. What's going on? What's going on? And Jonah is going to answer them. And they're going to find out through the answer that something is going on because of this man. But it's something that they weren't expecting. You know, penicillin was discovered in 1928 by a Scottish scientist named Alexander Fleming. And what had happened is they had left a Petri dish uncovered. And when he came back, he found that something was growing that was inhibiting the spread of the bacteria. And so he was curious To find out what that was, and that's basically the discovery of that mold and how it functioned is how penicillin came about. It was unplanned. It was just something that happened by accident. Someone left that Petri dish uncovered. Somehow this scientist went and said, huh, what's happening here? And through that, penicillin has come about, which has saved countless lives. All by accident. And you see here, they're trying to uncover what is happening here. By accident, Jonah ends up on our boat or by some circumstance. We're not aware of it, but something is going on that now they're becoming aware of. When they said to Jonah on whose account, and might have been more of not a question as it would be like, why is this happening? Hey, you what's going on they're wanting to find out what's happening and after this interrogation of all these questions jonah answers the last question first and apparently he skips all the others i mean we don't know exactly if that's the account here in the story and, and he also adds some information that they didn't ask he, he adds and tells them he's a hebrew and the god of heaven they're typically words that are used by the children of Israel when they're talking to Gentiles. And of course, dry land was especially meaningful. He's the land, God of the land, because that's what they're trying to go to, right? We need dry land because we're going to die out here in the ocean. And so if your God is the God over there, can he help us get to that place? Oh, he's the God of the sea. Can he help us be delivered from where we're at? And so this is especially meaningful for them. It was the goal that they wanted to reach and the place where Jonah eventually was going to land, we'll see in chapter 2. And so as this is taking place, we see that he accepts the responsibility that fell on him. He knew God had rigged the lottery. He wasn't surprised at what is happening. When he says, Yahweh God of heaven who made the sea and the land, maybe Jonah wasn't trying to win them over Maybe he was saying, oh, yeah, it's my God. Kind of like, you know, the teenager who said, yeah, my dad made me take out the nose ring. You know, yeah, it's my God who did this. So it's not like Jonah is, oh, yes, I need to tell you about my God. It's kind of like, yeah, my God's responsible. He caught me. I got to go home now. Because he realizes that something is happening and it's his fault that they're in this circumstance. And we see in verse 10 that the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Stage three of their learning. They had to know what could be done. We want to know who's responsible. We want to know the details. And now we need to know what needs to be done. This progression of their education, they had already learned more than they had been expecting. They've been given more information probably than they thought they would be given. They probably felt like, oh, man, this is amazing. We have all this information, but now what do we do with it? God has revealed this to us, but now we have to digest it and we have to move from it. And I think that's something that happens with us many times. You hear something and it rings true in your soul. God is saying, yes, this is accurate. This is how I want you to live. Or this is my revelation of who I am to you. And you get that and all of a sudden you have this kind of feeling of, okay, I've got this. Now what? How do I move forward from this? What's the next step? this information that i have received and we see here that they feared a great fear literally the idea of yahweh god of heaven was one who made the sea and the land controlled them obviously he was not just a god of this one man but he was a god of land sea and even of us and see, at each stage of their education, their situation became more clear. They believed Jonah because, well, the lot fell on him because he had an answer. And Why would he say, yeah, it's me, throw me into the sea if it wasn't him, right? It wouldn't divulge that kind of information right off the bat. And since Jonah was the jinx, so to speak, he was also the expert they would feel at lifting this kind of curse. And, and so they ask him, and they, first they ask him, How could you do this? Why would you do this? Why would you run from God? And, and this applies to what he has told them already. They wanted to know why he would run from the God like Yahweh. Since he didn't respond to the questions, Jonah apparently kept silent. And it's kind of funny because how would he actually tell them, well, I didn't want to go and take this information to the Gentiles, and so I'm running away from God, but you guys are actually the Gentiles. You see, Jonah's prejudice is actually confronting him even when he's trying to run away from it. He's trying to run away from taking the message of God to the people of Nineveh And he's meeting other people like the people of Nineveh and that they're not Jewish, they're not followers of Yahweh. And he's still confronted with this message and having to present it now to these people. It's almost like, I can't get away from this. Here it is again. I have to disclose this kind of thing. And so Jonah's silence is really a big mystery in this story. Why would you be silent? And it's something that we get answered later on. But the sailors knew that it was Jonah and then God was not going to let them escape from this. Having learned this much, they have to move to the next piece of knowledge that they need. What should we do? What are we supposed to do? We've heard this knowledge and with this knowledge comes responsibility. John 13 verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. See, what we know does no good unless we act on what we know. It doesn't help us to know information. It helps us to know information and then to put it into application. It's that way with everything. It's that way with the things you learn from work. It's that way with the things you learn from God. You've been given information about God or about Christ through Scripture. Now, what do you do with it? Is it meant just for you to know it? They had now understood, Jonah, you're responsible. Now, what do we do with this information? How do we move forward? And sometimes just being persistent can be a blessing or can be a curse depending on what you're persistent at we had a tortoise someone had found a tortoise my mom found a tortoise in her yard and she gave it to us because we had the little kids and i guess tortoises have to be registered actually kind of like guns you know yeah they're dangerous out there and so the tortoise had we didn't know this at the time but it was a tortoise and later the people said hey have you seen our tortoise and oh yeah i gave it to our family they in upland now so the tortoise moved from glendora to upland was living in our yard and we built a terrarium we i built a terrarium for it and it was glass and it you know had the little dirt on it and we'd put the food for the vegetables for this tortoise but this tortoise didn't like the terrarium it wanted to go to our neighbor's yard across the street i don't know what she had in her yard but anytime that tortoise was out it made a beeline for vivian's house And tortoises—it's amazing when they want to move, they can kind of move fast. It's like they put on the hydraulics; legs go up, and then they start moving along, and that thing starts booking, and it's going straight for Vivian's house. And there are a few times Vivian says, "Your tortoise is here," and like, "What? When did it go away?" You know, we named the tortoise Chaos; just seemed like a great name for a tortoise. And when we had put Chaos in the terrarium, he would so want to go to Vivian's house that he would just keep banging. Against the glass. I mean, not hard, because, you know, how much steam could a tortoise get? You know, it's not like he can, oh, run. Bam, you know. But he would bump up against the glass over and over again where it would drive us crazy. And so we had to put it out in the garage because all night long you would hear, dunk, dunk, dunk. Hours upon hours, the guy was tenacious. So then we built a a little corral for him in the backyard. I remember just digging this place and we put this kind of plastic mesh to surround it so that, you know, he couldn't get up. But doggone chaos would go and start climbing the plastic mesh. You didn't know tortoises could climb, did you? I didn't either. They don't climb very well because he would fall down most of the time and we'd have to go and make sure, you know, chaos wasn't on his back. But he was just relentless. Going back and going back and going back. And you see, we see this in Jonah. He is relentless. Instead of telling them, you know what, you guys, it's my fault, head into land or maybe you can drop me off somewhere close to Nineveh. And I'll go from there. He doesn't do that. He just says, I'd rather die. I would rather die than do what God is asking me to do. Now that sounds really harsh. And that sounds like, oh man, how could anyone say that? But I'm telling you, I know people. And I've known it in myself. Where even though I see the consequence of Destructive behavior, I am more stubborn in my rebellion that actually birthed those consequences than I am to change those consequences. There are people who will hold on to the thing that is destroying them rather than make the change. We see it in addiction, we see it in relationships where one person just needs to admit they were wrong, to apologize, to say, I'm sorry. So that things can mend and move forward. But that stubbornness, it's like chaos. It just bangs its head up against the glass over and over again. I'm going to stay on this course. I will not let it go. And you know people like that. I know people like that. And Maybe you know of times in your life where you were like that. And we see that in Jonah here. Jonah submits to his pursuers, but he also persists in his rebellion. Again, it's possible to recognize the consequences of our mistakes while continuing in the rebellion that gave them birth to begin with. And so first Jonah was willing to drown in the ocean to save that crew, but he was not willing to lift a finger to save a single soul in Nineveh. His willingness to die so that the crew could live was a form of intercession, not of words, but of action. And you see, God is moving Jonah to the place where God wants Jonah to be. Do you see what you're doing for these sailors? Do you see that that's what I want to be done for this city? Do you see what my heart is now that you're experiencing it in a little bit? Because sometimes those little things give us a glimmer of insight into what God is doing. I, I believe that happens in life in so many ways. It happens with me in dog training. When I'm training a dog, God will teach me a lesson. I've got a stubborn dog. And as I'm working with a stubborn dog, I'm like, man, this dog reminds me of someone. Who is it? Who is it? And God is like, it reminds me of you sometimes. I'm like, oh, man. And so I'm having this lesson from God while I'm you know, dealing with a beagle. or it'll happen with my children. And I have learned more about God through having children than I have through just about anything else, even the study of Scripture. There's been more insight into my own soul of what it's like for my Heavenly Father to want and desire what's best for me, that I could read and understand it to some degree, but not like I do when I experience it. And so now Jonah has this little experience on this boat that's a microcosm of what God's wanting him to experience on a larger level and how much even a larger level with God as he has this attitude towards the whole world. But this stubbornness, it consistently shows up. In verse 13, nevertheless, the men rowed hard. In other words, I'm not going to throw you in the sea. That doesn't seem like a good idea to take the one who God is calling and throw him into the sea. Let's try something else. So they tried rowing. Hard to get back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Stage four of their learning is they came to know that they could not fight God. For the second time since they began questioning Jonah, the storm became more intense. So no matter how powerfully they dug the oars in and rowed, It was getting them nowhere. The futility of their fight intensified the desperation and the story's suspense. Jonah had made them now accomplices. And unless they would take Jonah to where he needed to be, they would not go anywhere. They wanted to get rid of him. And God says, you can't. He needs to go somewhere, not just anywhere. And now you are a part of this because... You are involved with him. They're accomplices. They continued that continued resistance would lead to punishment. This would be aiding and abetting a fugitive. But it's a fugitive of God. And you see, there is no neutral ground so many times when it comes to how this relationship shows up in ways in our life. When we see something like this, we have to respond to it. There's a passage in James chapter four, verse 17. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Again, it's not that you did something wrong. It's that God was doing something right and you would not participate. And that's really the definition of sin. It's missing the mark of what God's intention is. You can, you can, Miss it by commission, you can miss it by omission. And now they were a part of this. God is wanting to do something. We need to help God accomplish this. Otherwise, we're in the same boat, literally, with Jonah that's taking place. Knowing that Jonah was running now put them in the place where they had to respond. We can't run away when God reveals that there's something wrong. We can't run away when God reveals to us there's something wrong. That shows up in our lives in so many places. We can't turn and ignore things when God reveals to us something needs to be done. And maybe we will have to go through these same kinds of inquiry what happened that this is happening? You encounter someone on the street, why are you here? You want to get more information. Are you a veteran? Are you suffering from mental health issues? You try and then find out what can I do? It's not going to do any good to give you more money because you'll just continue in your addiction and problems. So what do you need and how do I get to that place? You see, now that I've been exposed to this person or encountered this, now I have the responsibility to respond in some way, to do something. Now maybe it'll be like Joe. Jonah, you can't do anything. Maybe They have to be just cast into the sea. But you won't know until you start asking those questions. But we have to respond. In verse 14, therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Stage five, the sailors now knew the name of Yahweh. They knew the name of the Lord. They called on Yahweh. The very thing that Jonah should have done and failed to do, now they are doing. Isn't that amazing? Jonah would not do it. But even in his disobedience, He sees people are doing it. You see, the incompetence of the messenger doesn't change the competence of the message. The incompetence of Jonah did not stop the power of the message from still being revealed even in his disobedience. Because God is that good, you cannot shield who he is. He shows up even in the darkest places. Even in the disobedience, God has a way of radiating his light so that people can see him, even if it's through contrast. And we see that taking place here with Jonah. They called on him. So then they threw him out. See, I like the little, hey, God, we don't want any trouble here. We don't want innocent blood. We think this is what you want to do, but we're just covering our bases. Here he goes. Right? All right he said "Too, we're not trying to you know do anything wrong here this is all we know how to do and and i think that's great because they shifted from assisting jonah to actually working with god even though it looks so strange and i think working with god often looks strange we see that manifest through the person of jesus who was known as the friend of sinners. This isn't how God is supposed to work. This isn't the way we expect God. We expect God to do this, this, and this. And he comes and it's like, wow, this was not what we were expecting. And how can we expect anything from God who's bigger than we can imagine? That's kind of mind-boggling. I mean, it's kind of foolish, right? I expect God to work in this way. Oh, you know him that well, do you? So once again, God... This seems like what you're doing. We'll work with you. The throwing began, remember, with God throwing the storm at them, and now they're reciprocating and they're throwing Jonah really back to God. God, through this, we're going to throw this back to you. Fear is another one of those words that is used in multiple ways here. Years ago, when my brother and I were living out in Hollywood, there was a thunderstorm. And I know if you're from the Midwest, our thunderstorms are nothing like your thunderstorms, okay? But this was a hairy thunderstorm, okay? This one was intense. And we went out in front of our patio. It was a good size overhang. We were able to sit out there while it's pouring rain and see the lightning flash but not get wet. It was just kind of a cool thing. And I remember sitting out there. My brother was smoking a cigarette, and I was, I think, 13. I wasn't smoking anything at the time. And, and so... We were sitting there in front and the lightning was going. We're just watching the rain come down. And all of a sudden there was a flash of lightning and the thunder was instant. It was like right on top of us. And, and what thunder is, is the vacuum that's created when the air expands and then subtracts all of a sudden it creates this vacuum and it's just the noise of that happening. And it just was so loud, this giant pane window that we're at just rattled like it was going to break. And it's an amazing thing when something flashes and you feel the earth move. And it was so intense, it like we looked like, you know, skeletons when you like flash an X-ray, it was there. It's like BAM, it hit, and it just thundered and my brother just had the cigarette and he threw his cigarette and he goes, I don't smoke anymore. (laughs) It was just his response to this occasion. Like, I don't smoke anymore. I don't want anything wrong in my life, because man there was this awareness of God through the thunder that struck just right above our heads, so much so that it terrified us because it was so awesome. And you see, that's really one of the definitions. There, there is a fear that causes, you know, this kind of uh, just terror and dread and panic, but there's also the complex form that's fascination as well as that ominous feeling. And when they hurl Jonah in and everything goes calm, much like the disciples on that boat when Jesus said, be still, and they were afraid. This man controls even the waves and the wind. And it overwhelmed them and they were moved The crew presented a sacrifice to Yahweh, made vows, a vow is a promise to make some kind of return for gifts favored. They're going to respond to God. They offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So many times we see that throughout scripture. He who offers, offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. What will we vow and honor to the Lord? You see, The sailors uncharted path through the sea brought them to a surprise destination. The ultimate education anyone could receive is to know God. Like Jacob, the sailors met God, or like Job, the sailors met God in this storm. The experience of God counts for far more than hours in a classroom. When you experience God, it changes you more than any kind of information ever could. Our intellect can only take us so far until we reach a point of diminishing returns. We get to a point where we think we know enough and we stop actually learning. What needs to take place is there needs to be a thunderstorm effect in our lives where we realize this is more than I was aware of and it shakes me. It shakes me to the core of who I am. Evelyn Underhill says that the humble discipline of ignorance and the purification of the intellect is a good thing. The humble discipline of ignorance to realize I really don't know that much about God is a good thing that makes you able to actually learn more. Where if you think you know what needs to be known, you're probably blind to a lot of things that he's trying to reveal. And it may just require that thunderstorm to open up and shake us. Because God is more mystery than the rational mind is able to accept or absorb. God is more mystery than we are able to understand. What we think we know can get us in the way of what really needs to be known. Knowledgeable people know how little they know. Like that? Knowledgeable people know how little they know. All of us possess knowledge. But remember, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. We don't know what we ought to know. See, God has become knowable to us through Jesus. He, he's made himself known, and this is where our ongoing education takes place in the spirit. As we have an experiential education with the risen Christ. And oftentimes we learn through the storms of our life how vast, how awesome God is. And we learn that in the storms as well as we learn it in the quiet and still places of our heart. And we have the opportunity to either work against God or to work with God. And our education, our ongoing education is to be questioning and asking what is happening so that we can find out what God is doing. And then ultimately, we need to ask, what do I need to do so I can be a part of what God is doing? And that's when God reveals his grace. That's when God shows us that we start experiencing what God is intending to do in our lives and in the world around us. So may we have a similar education that these sailors did where they encountered God even though it was through an incompetent and disgruntled prophet. May we not be like Jonah. May we make the awareness of God easy to be seen and understood and may we first experience it ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things that we still need to learn. And I pray that this morning that awareness would be enlightened, that we would see the need that is still within our lives. And Father, there are people here this morning who are in a boat that is being tossed by the waves, that the storm is pounding. Their life feels a lot like what these sailors are going through. Lord, I pray that their journey would lead them in the same direction where they would come to a place where they acknowledge you and are able to then sacrifice thanksgiving because you have revealed yourself to them. Help them to Ask the questions. Help them to seek after you. Help them in the middle of this tempest, Lord, to recognize that nothing happens without purpose. Even as James tells us, don't consider it a strange thing when you go through various trials. For those trials, the testing of our faith produces endurance. And may our endurance be towards you and not away from you. May it be leading people towards you and not keeping people away from you. When we see what is happening and what you're doing, may we respond and participate in your work in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May your journey be like these sailors who cast lots for a God they didn't know to call on a God by name. May you move from a place where your life is out of control to a place where God moves you into peace. May you hear his voice and respond. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. See you next week.